Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The, the Nonprofit, Nonprofit Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday. It is August 17th. I'm laughing because Brittany forgot that like we have to count in and do any technical things in the podcasting world to make this actually I was, occur. I was just so excited. I was ready to jump right in. <laughs> Let's get this party started. Anyway, it's August 17th. You're hearing this sometime on or after August 24, which means our schools are back. Oh, gosh. I wonder what my future self is going to uh, think about this week. <laughs> Your girls start tomorrow, right? Tomorrow. Ooh. Tomorrow is D-Day. How you feeling? Um, I'm okay. We, I'm spending a good part of the day today getting organized, and then I'll feel a lot better. So I'm um, just trying to get their desk set, set up. And then also we are doing this with one other family and so we're kind of sharing the burden and it feels like we have partners in crime so to speak <laughs> and we're not going it alone so what are uh, they that feels that? good too like pods or something learning pods, learning pods yeah yeah man so many new phrases from 2020 <laughs> <laughs> the dictionaries are gonna have a hard time choosing which ones to let in at the end of the year yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we'll see how it goes. Um, ask me when this episode airs. <laughs> and it sounds like you had a lovely weekend in preparation for school. We did. We left our children for the night and <laughs> went to the mountains. Because mama's got to get some relaxation before school, too. That's exactly right. We need to fill the cup before we pour it all out. Before the kids drinketh. Yes. <laughs> um, but as you know all too well, um, Colorado's on fire. Yeah. So what were you saying right before we jumped on and started recording? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the ash falling from the sky adds just a fun layer of it feeling very apocalyptic right now. Yes. As if 2020 wasn't awful enough already. Yeah. So we escaped and luckily the place that we went, um, once we got there, it wasn't covered in smoke, but definitely the way there was. And so we could see, cause we went over rabbit ears pass and you could see all the different fires, yeah. the three big fires. So it was pretty crazy to be in a place where you could see them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know a lot about this because that's what your husband does. <laughs> so how was your weekend, Nia? Well, you know, it's it's always this funny thing when, you know, my husband's a wildland firefighter and he often travels for fire and, and that's always sad and a little worrisome. But when they're local fires, it just adds a layer of intensity to everything. 
I think partially because folks are experiencing it along with me. Um, right. And so people are reaching out and, and sometimes that's really nice, right? Like it, it feels very validating for people to be like, oh gosh, this must be hard for Nia. Let me check in. But then it's also like some people reach out and I'm like, I haven't talked to you in a decade. And yeah. you just feel like you have a connection through me to this disaster we're experiencing. That doesn't feel good. Because I am legitimately worried, and it is actually scary. And my husband has been home a grand total of 22 hours since Friday. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he is beyond exhausted, as am I. And how many of those 22 hours is he sleeping? Maybe six. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he comes home straight to a shower, straight to bed, I stand at the door and hand him his lunch and coffee in the morning and he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, that adds a heaviness, but on the bright side, you know, I try to keep myself relatively busy. Um, so I went on a nice bike ride with a friend on Friday, had a huge pickup from the farmer's market yesterday. Lots of great fresh produce. Um, love that. Love our farmer's market. So yeah, it, it it was a it was a heavy weekend more than anything. Just worrying. Well, and when you're going to sleep at night smelling the fire. Yeah. I'm sure that really brings it home. Yeah, I think there's this little bit of me that maybe subconsciously pretends that like he's just going to the office every day. But when right. you're smelling it and then you're smelling it on, on his clothes as you wash them, you're like, "Oh yeah. Th- that's where he is <laughs> fighting this yeah. fire." Right. Yeah. Well, um, I know the entire state of Colorado is so thankful for Colin and all the other wildland firefighters out there because they've got quite the battle going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. For any of you out out of state or for any of you who haven't experienced like a true wildfire season, just, just take a look at Colorado right now. We've got multiple large scale fires, many of whom, many of which I should say, are doubling in size in a 24-hour period. Um, most of them have very little containment, if any. So it's it's cranking. And I was just looking at the weather. Like, there's there's no break this week. So I was just going to say we're praying for rain. Yeah, it's not coming. Yeah. Oh, man. But that kind of um, is on topic with today's topic. Yes, it is. So... While I'm uh, at home pretending my husband's not a wildland firefighter, I, uh, I follow a lot of fire-related social media accounts, um, often just like the governmental agencies that oversee the fires because I want to know what's going on. Um, and I, I was thinking about this issue around disaster relief fundraising. And I thought, where mm-hmm. better to have the conversation than on our podcast? Dun, da, da, da. And so here we are talking about disaster relief. Um, And there are a few different things that I was thinking about. Obviously, there's the, you know, just people donating, feeling called to donate. And I I think we can talk about that a little bit. But I also find it very interesting, the in-kind donations that come about during these kind of disasters. Um, And right now they're coming about, and I saw no fewer than four different posts this weekend from agencies saying, we can't take them. Yeah. And I just, I think it's so fascinating, this desire to, like, give things in response to a disaster. 
Right. And I'm sure it's stemming from, you know, this just desire to want to help or to do something. Mm -hmm. Right. And, oh, you know, especially when you have fires where people are displaced, Mm -hmm. where they're, um, they have to leave their house very quickly and go to a shelter. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes then their houses burn and they lose everything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm sure it's coming from this place of let me help these people who are going through such a crisis. Mm -hmm. But as we've learned and talked about on this podcast before with in-kind donations, it it can be a double-edged sword. Yeah, totally. So, uh, I can't remember. You were here in uh, 2012 when uh, Four Mile happened? Yes, yeah. I was. Uh-huh. So this was a big fire right outside of Boulder. Um, so for any of us living and working in and around Boulder, um, it, it was it was absolutely awful. Um, and yeah, it was horrendous. Yeah, something like you just couldn't escape because you watched the smoke billowing every single day. Um, my, my husband was on that fire. Um, but it was fascinating because they opened up donations, um, which they don't normally do. Um, like there are all these crazy contracts for food for the firefighters and, you know, like they just really keep that stuff on lockdown. But for four miles, so who, they opened it up. Who do you mean by they? They opened it up. Who do you mean? Well, it, to not, I don't want to get like too detailed into like the, the higher, government agency. It, there's an incident command team that okay. oversees each fire and each one is at a different level and each one is structured a little bit differently, but whoever was running that fire, their incident command team opened up donations. Okay. And literal semis of food would arrive to the fire camp. Oh gosh. Yeah. What did they do with it? Did they have any place to store it? No, it was such a disaster. And I, I don't know all the inner workings. I just remember seeing it. And then Colin would tell stories like one night, this group of cheerleaders showed up with like dozens and dozens of pizzas but also in their cheerleader outfit. Oh. Yeah. Ugh. Feels real icky to me. <laughs> well, I think that this points to something else, though. Uh, abundance. Mm-hmm. You know, that we actually have a lot of abundance in this country. Just not everybody has access to it. Totally. And so this scarcity... Um, if I don't know if there was a better distribution of this abundance, maybe there would be a lot less scarcity. I that's, I that's love opening it. up all. I know it's opening up a whole Pandora's box, but it's <laughs> like, so true. Do we want to go down this road? Well, it, it, I think this is a really interesting one too because let's be clear that the the incident command teams for these fires are also not, they don't typically have fundraisers on staff, right? Like there's nobody right. there to help process the donations, to to make sense of it all, to even be the one, like the gatekeeper to say, I'm sorry, we can't take grandma's cookies, but we can take pizza from Domino's. Right. Right. So like we had that entire episode where we talked about putting structures in place and clarity, and then you have these disasters that happen and it's often just managed by the the people actually dealing with the disaster, not these larger, like the American Red Cross doesn't come in until later. Right. And so right. they don't know what to do. But is, I wish we had a statistic. I bet we don't, I but might. I bet there's one out there. 
Do you have a statistic about fundraising around national or yeah, national disasters? Because I feel like it is people are so much more willing to give during a moment of crisis, be it a hurricane, a tornado, a earthquake, a fire, a flood. Gosh, we had that the very next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they come out in spades, you know, with like you're talking about. So I do have a stat for you, actually. Yay! So this comes from the the Center for Disaster Philanthropy and the Lilly School. Um, so great sources, obviously. 30% of U.S. households gave to a natural disaster in 2017-2018. Wow. That's pretty significant, right? That's really significant, yeah. And then I, I think in terms of, like, cash donations, dollar donations, over half of them were 100 to $499. So this isn't, like, $5 text to hurricane. Like, these are... These are legit dollars that folks are giving. And if you, if they see a photo or a video of an animal Done. in distress because of said nat- natural disaster, mm-hmm. yeah, it's over. Then, I mean, the floodgates open and people are willing to give very generously. Yep. Which I, I find fascinating. Well, it, this is another interesting stat um, in this same report. Um the the majority of giving to, to disasters was natural disasters. Um, a significantly smaller amount was to what they call complex humanitarian agencies or emergencies, complex humanitarian emergencies. Um, but in 2018, the largest percentage of disaster giving was to the California wildfires. Mm-hmm. And my first thought when I saw that was the pictures of the animals running out of the forests. Yeah. That were, it was all over the news, right? Well, and I can't help but think about, remember the Australian fires with the koalas? The koalas. Holy cow. Go take it all. Take it all. (laughs) Here's my bank account number. Right. Yeah. I mean, they just, they're heart wrenching. Yeah. Well, that's. That goes to my next data point, which I also thought was really interesting. So, you know, we, we have all of these uh, lists of why people give. Um, and, you know, the, the top ten include things like um, their connection to the community, blah, blah, blah. We always talk about how their tax benefit is always at the very bottom of that list. So they did a chart on what motivates people to give to disasters. The top one was the scale of the disaster and the number of people impacted. All right. Number two was connection to that location or the disaster. And then number three was media coverage. 20% mm. of disaster aid donor households said media coverage was what made them give. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when it's all over the media, and I also think that they just, during those times, they make it very easy for people to give. Oh, totally. Here, text this real quick and give $25, mm-hmm. you know? And when people are hearing that over and over again in direct um, secession from hearing about who has just been impacted by this horrible event, you know, then it, that impulse giving. Totally. Yeah. I, or, on, or on Facebook or, you know, those types of things. That's, what, that's a, a stat I would love to hear is, like, the rate of impulse giving to an organization – associated with the disaster versus otherwise 
Because I think you're totally Absolutely. right. Like, I'm so much well, more likely. I, I've just seen this horrific video. Oh, my gosh. These bad things are happening right now. And I can give to maybe even feel like a modicum of control in helping. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and that's where I think social media plays a role, too. Um, I mean, we talk about, like, late night um, impulse buys. Mm-hmm. Well, the impulse giving, I mean, is right up there as well. Maybe we feel less guilty about it the next morning because <laughs> we're helping someone. But, for example, those California wildfires, I remember there's this blogger that I follow who I adore. And she's from California. And her brother was impacted by the fire. And I don't even remember the whole story. I feel like maybe he was a doctor and he she was talking about how they lost their home and everything. And he was at the hospital helping all these people. I could be making part of this up. It doesn't matter because at the end of it, it was like, help me help this family. I didn't even know the family. But I'm like, boop, 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 boop. Here you go. Here's $20 from Colorado because thank you for doing what you do. And that's so horrible. And, you know, right there on the spot. I didn't actually sit there and go through your checklist that maybe you would do with just a normal organization, right? Like, let's check their charity navigator. Let's check their this. And what's their 990 say? And it's just like, boop, nope, I'm giving it to you. I'm not really even sure how the money's going to be used. Well, I think that's such a good point. Like now we have this method that allows us to give so easily to individuals or to these disasters without a large agency involved. We don't have to wait for the American Red Cross to jump in for us to be able to give and make some sort of difference. And I think you're right. It removes a lot of those barriers, even mental barriers to philanthropy in that moment because, I mean, partially we just want to feel better. We just want to feel in that moment like a little bit of soothing to the stress and anxiety that learning about this disaster has caused. Yeah, but isn't it a double standard that (laughs) I say we as donors, but I'm kind of lumping a whole big category of donors, you know, put some organizations through such a a rigorous, like, test Mm -hmm. of competency. Yeah. An analysis before they're willing to give, but in these other situations, it's like, oh, it's a GoFundMe. Boom. Go ahead. Done. Here you go. Done. Uh, so Don't care. You know, and you've heard me talk. I don't know that this has hit the podcast yet, so this is a bit of a uh, uh, expose on my life. Um, you know, I've had oh, some I'm excited. Ambien purchases in the past. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. I've definitely had some ambient philanthropy. (laughs) (laughs) Like one night I just, I went through the GoFundMes and like anytime one of them made me cry, I just sent more money and had no recollection of it until I got the confirmation emails. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you're not supposed to sleep with your phone next to your bed. I know. I know. I mean, at least it wasn't Omaha Steaks again. (laughs) And you're actually supposed to sleep after you, uh... (laughs) After you take Ambien. <laughs> yeah. it. Ha- I mean, it happens to the best of us. Yeah. I hear you. Well, so it made me think of this time um, that <laughs> I was putting on this fundraising event and there were certain people who were participating in the event 
who then were creating their own personal fundraising pages mm-hmm. to benefit the organization. Um, that was the whole the whole point of the event, right? Yep. But the event was also a very fun event. And I had this donor who had a lot of capacity and a huge network, mm. which I didn't even find out till later. Like, I don't know, 30,000 people follow him on Twitter Whoa. or something, which that's a lot more than I have. And <laughs> you have to be on Twitter first. <laughs> oh, that's how that works. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No wonder. Okay. I feel better. That's how that works. Um, so I find this out and all of the people that are participating were encouraged to fundraise. I forget the amount, but let's say $2,500. Mm-hmm. I actually think it was less than that, but it doesn't matter. And everybody else participating had done it except for him. Mm. And so it was like three days before the event. And I thought, why are you even doing this if you're not fundraising? Like that's, that's the whole point of this. So I, I had to kind of call him out of it. Maybe I've talked about it on the podcast before. I don't know. It's a great story though. And, um, so I, I called him and I said, um, you know, I noticed that you haven't done any fundraising in the events in three days. And he says to me, oh, well, I've never really had any success in asking people to give to something unless it's a natural disaster. Oh, that's fascinating. Isn't it? And also, what the fuck? I've never heard that before in my life. Well, and what the fuck? Why are you participating if you're not actually going to participate? Right, yeah. If you thought that this was going to fail to begin with, why the hell did you sign up? Right. So I had to have kind of a stern talk with him as the fundraiser of like, look, this is the reason we're doing this event in the first place. And that's what you signed on and agreed to do. So get on it. Mm -hmm. And sure enough... I mean, he was one of the top fundraisers in three days, mind you, of the whole event. Where had he started it a month and a half before, like I had asked him to, it could have been who knows what, you know? So I just find it really interesting. I think there's something about natural disasters, even more than, you know, like homelessness or domestic violence or, I don't know, all these other like really necessary causes out there, people, if it's a natural disaster, they don't feel bad advocating and asking people to help contribute to that. I totally agree. And I think it's fascinating because so often people don't want to contribute to the things that would prevent the disaster or prevent the level of impact of the disaster. Ooh, Oh, this just got psychological. Okay, so like, let's take uh, what happened locally. We had the floods in 2013. Awful, devastating. People died, houses lost. Who did it hit the hardest? Were some of our lowest income people living in the mobile home parks. Right. Now, of course, for years, folks had been advocating for better situations for all of them. You know, even just, like, the safety of the plots that their mobile homes were on. Right. If we had actually invested in that, they might not have lost their homes. 
we might right. not have added to the homelessness issue if we had actually done the work up front. Right. And I'm, I'm, of course, I think about that a lot with wildfires. Like if we did the proper fire mitigation work, if we invested in that, if our government fucking invested in that, these fires won't, wouldn't be nearly as awful as they are. Right. But moving that money up front, moving it upstream or whatever the analogy is, folks aren't excited about that. The disaster has to happen before we'll open up and say, yeah, let's give to this. I feel like there's something else we're all going through right now that is similar. I mean, something about, oh. I don't know, like like a sickness or a... a like a oh, public yeah. health thing? A public health thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the global pandemic. Oh, yeah, where it's like unearthed and uh, really brought to light all of these massive inequities that have always existed. Well, that and the fact that they've been talking about how this is a possibility for years and years and years, but now people are really ready to give to the research on how to prevent it in the future. Yeah. Yeah, that's some um, weird human psychology right there. Yeah. I also think from a donor perspective, you you all need to recognize, those of you who donate, um, and especially those of you who donate to disaster relief, because it's an emergent issue, right? Like that whatever the disaster is happens quickly. Donations come in quickly. The processing of those is often really difficult and is more likely to cause things to happen. I'm not necessarily saying fraud, although that can happen, but we know funds from the flood recovery that were collected by a local organization to get distributed were lost. American Red Cross lost like I want to say it was like half a billion dollars for Haiti relief, right? Like when people are doing philanthropy in an emergency and the organizations are processing them, the the volume is often beyond the capacity. Whereas if that giving was consistent and ongoing and could be brought to scale, we wouldn't have those issues. Right. So, I mean, what's your advice to people that want to give during a time of crisis? I'm never going to tell people to not do that. I do it too. Exactly. It it feels better. Totally. Just wanted to clarify that. Yes. Exactly. Uh, Don't try to give in kind unless an organization is explicitly asking for it. Um, And they're asking for specific things and then give them what they're asking for. Otherwise, just give unrestricted dollars. So they can use it however. Maybe they don't actually need the funds now, but they're going to need it in the long-term recovery and let that happen as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, that was going to be the thing I was going to say earlier. All these organizations right now are saying, you know, we can't accept your in-kind donations. Thank you so much, but we can't do it because we're also in a pandemic. And they're like, we, we don't have any way to safely process this stuff right now. We also don't want people coming in and out of our office as we're trying to limit the number of people here to limit the spread. So that's where dollars are seriously much safer right now, in addition to being more effective for these organizations who might need them in a myriad of different ways. Right. Good points. I know. Well, everything is being um, exacerbated with the pandemic because all these people that are having, that are being displaced, you know, whether it's the hurricanes that went up the East Coast to fires out here or, um, man, Iowa just got like 
pummeled by horrible weather last week. I mean, it's catastrophic. Um, You know, usually that's when they set up all the centers that people can go to and they have cots and that. And so now it's like, all right, let's put hundreds of people, thousands of people in one big room. I don't know. I don't think that's a good idea, but what else are they going to do? So then they're like trying to separate, Mm -hmm. create like a sick area and a healthy area. I mean, it's just so complicated. What, do you remember when um, Denver started to set up their COVID shelters for people experiencing homelessness? And yes. And the, the people were like, it is safer on the street. You want me to walk into this Petri dish. Right now I'm, I'm healthy, but I'm going to be in a, in a cot with somebody just a few feet away from me coughing all night? Uh, no, thank you. Yeah. And so it's no different now. I mean, yeah, people are getting evacuated and how we deal with a disaster in the midst of a pandemic (laughs) can't be the same. Yeah. So everybody who's out there listening, you know, this is a call to keep giving and give where your heart is pulling you, but also just to kind of maybe take a wider view of that giving, you know, instead of in that vulnerable moment at one o'clock in the morning on social media. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, I also think, you know, our, I don't have data to back this up. I mean, except for that little bit there, but we certainly know, I think anecdotally that what we give in that emotional response time is going to be much less than we typically give to the organizations we love and care about. And so that's why part of what I'm saying is it's okay. As long as you're maintaining your other giving, donate. But yeah, like let's, let's pull that lens back and think about, okay, what are the long-term impacts of this? What could have been done earlier that would have mitigated the current impacts? And can you give to those organizations so that the next time around, it, it isn't quite as devastating? Yeah. Yep. That's good stuff right there. And I think to any of our fundraisers in an organization that is impacted, whether it's your like direct causal area or like I know a bunch of the animal shelters are like suddenly taking in animals that have been displaced, like hang in there. Seriously, this shit is hard and it is especially hard this year. Um, just, just hang in there. We're thinking of you. Yeah. And you know, put out there what you need and what you don't need. Hey, goes back to last week's episode, right? Ask for what just you need. Tying it, tying it all back. <laughs> Weaving a thread through all of our, all of our episodes. I can't wait till we get to the the end and like we have this big reveal of whatever we were trying to really say. Yeah, I can't wait either because <laughs> I don't know what that is. All right. Well, if you have um, fallen victim to the same thing that Nia has done in the middle of the night. We want to hear about it. Um, Please reach out. Give us your stories. We love to hear from you. How can they get in touch with us? They can email us nonprofitreframe at gmail.com and they should definitely, definitely be following us on Facebook and Instagram where uh, I might tell the whole Omaha Steaks story. Who knows? Oh, it's a good one. It's a good one. (laughs) Steaks for a year. <laughs> Seems like such a great idea in the middle of the night. It did. Uh, <laughs> 
And if you have the capacity to do so, just like we've been saying this whole episode, you know, your local nonprofits, they desperately need you right now. They need your support now more than ever. So please give and give generously. Thanks, everybody. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com and Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.